You know what happens when a program enters its fourth season? What's that? It just gets more and more complicated from there. (laughs) If you don't have a first good three seasons, folks, you're not coming back. But guess what? We are. Yeah, we are. Oh my god, hi! (laughs) We're coming back for you, baby! I'm coming back for you! Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where we ain't getting on till Jim Crow gets off. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are covering the 2002 film biopic, The Rosa Parks Story. Uh, made for TV. Yeah, baby! <laughs> Does it get more salacious than made for TV films? Uh, I, well, this is, I wouldn't call this salacious, but... You know what I mean, like the high drama, the acting, like people throwing their whole mussy into it, shall we say. I love this movie. I've loved it ever since I was a kid. Can't wait to talk about it. Oh my god, and Angela Bassett! Why doesn't she age?! <laughs> She looks the same. She's the same. It's the same Angela Bassett. <laughs> she looks the same. She looks the same 20 years ago as she does now. This is literally 20 years ago. Before we get started, folks, don't forget, it's a brand new year. It certainly is. If you would love to support us in 2022. Oh, wow. Carrie. <laughs> no, I'm still not used to writing it. I'm still not used to writing the three. Okay, let me take that again. <laughs> If you would like to support us in the year 2023, the easiest way to do that is by practicing the three R's, remember? Rate, review, retweet. We rate, re- rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join this little watch party. And that means going to follow us on Twitter, seeing our posts, sharing, retweeting. We love it when you guys do that. We also need more reviews. Reviews are always good. Reviews allow the algorithm to help others find us, right? Mm-hmm. We want to be on your magazine rack. Like, we want... <laughs> on your magazine rack. Yeah, we want... When you're waiting, when you're waiting to check out for things, we want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> Just people in the grocery store line listening to us scream about our favorite movies. We want to be on your timeline. We're here to be loud. And also, don't forget, folks, you can still go support us on Patreon. Guys, for just $5 a month, you be, you too can become a little onion contributor at the $5 level. Guys, you're getting access to all of our bonus features, all of our shooting the shit, all of our television coverage, all of our long-form coverage. Guys, there's like 60 bajillion episodes of John Adams from HBO. <laughs> And The Haunting of Hill House from Netflix over there right now. We covered every episode of each. Oh, my God. All right. Anything else you want to say for our new season before we get started? (sighs) It's going to be big. (laughs) It's going to be indoor plumbing. (laughs) It's going to be big. We we, we, we are going to have lots of good things in the coming year for you. Thank you for rejoining us, everybody. And we love you on main feed here. Yeah. We love you on main feed. I know we love to have you guys give us your money, but, like, if you're not on the Patreon, it's okay. It's okay. You'll warm up. Yeah, you'll, you'll get there. <laughs> you'll feel comfortable enough to get those two guaranteed posts a month, you know? Absolutely. It's not like it's nowhere, guys, so it would be hella appreciated. <laughs> you can also get custom RSS links on our Podbean page where you can find our full catalog of main feed goodness. Thanks a lot, Apple Podcasts. Thanks a lot, Spotify Podcasts. <laughs> Only backloading a hundred of our episodes, but... We're still too tiny. We're still too tiny. <laughs> but hey, there are no small podcasts, right? There are no small podcasts. Only small podcasters? There's only small podcasters. We are not small podcasters. I, I know. We are quite large. <laughs> 
since you probably have to listen to us at half volume anyway. In the season of our uncertainty, in the heat of the moment, one woman defined what America stood for. I came here to register. You didn't pass. What? As a U.S. citizen, I have a right to vote, and no person can keep me from that right. Are you a member? Member. Of the NAACP? That's us. Well, you want my approval? Stick your neck out with a bunch of cowards oh. down at the NAACP. For the first time in my life, I feel like I can help. They're using you, Rosa. Can't you see it? Yes, I do see it. And I don't mind. Well, I mind. Well, let me have those front seats. I said, what do you think you're doing? Do not put your hands on me. Academy Award nominee Angela Bassett and Emmy Award winner Cicely Tyson. Knowing what you do now, you would still do exactly the same thing because you can't help yourself. All I wanted was what everybody else on the bus wanted, and I have a right to my dignity when I'm taking that 10 cent ride. In a film by Julie Dash. It's a moment we've all been waiting for. We have got to take a stand. I say we stop riding there, but. We had to board up the house for safety. We can't take much more of this. If we are wrong, the Supreme Court of this nation is wrong. If we are wrong, the Constitution of the United States is wrong. If we are wrong, God Almighty is wrong. Are you gonna move? No. Angela Bassett is Rosa Parks. guys we wanted to start the year off with a banger what we're really talking about today is the legacy of civil rights activist rosa parks oh god uh, and guys th this is the rosa parks story from 2002 made for tv movie it was directed by julie dash who is a black filmmaker oh cool and it was written by paris collis who is a black screenwriter he is wonderful and the th one of the reasons i wanted to do this movie in particular is like i'll never forget the first time i saw it on TV as a child. I was a little kid and I think I think it was one of those things where dad was watching it. You know, mm -hmm. dad is a flipper. Yeah. Uh, he, <laughs> yeah. He is the quintessential television flipper. Has, I mean, name me a dad who's not a flipper. He has been since 1987 <laughs> and since he got his own television for the first time and I just happened upon him watching that movie and I sat down with it and I kind of took it in and I also remember the story of Rosa Parks being the one element of critical race theory that was pushed upon us at in elementary school. And even then, not very well. Yeah, but like, I, I but it's like, I don't know. It, it, the reason I wanted to do this movie is because I want, even though it is, you know, acted, written, produced by black creators, I also want to analyze the way in how we revise history in this way you know, with movies and TV, because like there are some elements of this film that are supporting the 
mainly air quote white narrative that Rosa Parks was just someone who was old and tired and didn't want to be moved from her seat because she's a regular ass person. Yeah. Aren't I so non-threatening, you know? Exactly. And like, no, no. Rosa Parks's place in history was highly calculated Mm -hmm. and there was a lot of work going into the the Montgomery bus boycott, which we will talk about here. The movie is not without its awards. Yeah. Not without its, with its accreditation. NAACP Image Award, Black Reel Award. Like, you know, it it did not go unnoticed. It wasn't your average made-for-TV movie. But, like, I just think it's a really well-made movie, even if there are some parts of it that are a little bit too revisionist for my liking. Uh, Like catering to the white comfort. Yeah. That's the narrative we were all sold in history class. Exactly. Like, and I'll have more to say about that later, mainly because... It just enrages me that I never questioned it as a kid. Mm -hmm. Granted, we grew up in mainly all-white schools, like in the middle of nowhere Midwest. But at the same time, it's like, it just, it may, the way that adults will fail children generation after generation when it comes to teaching them history is really a cycle of horror that I would like our generation to break. I can remember in school the the historical narrative of Rosa Parks being the one that we were taught to admire the most. Kind of in the same way, you know, MLK is taught in a big way, right? Absolutely. Because they were some of the, quote, most palatable uh, civil rights movement figures that were available to us. Did you ever learn about Malcolm X? No. Did you ever learn about Medgar Evers? No, and I never learned about Black Power. Exactly. Yeah, like, I no. mean, well, I mean, we learned about it, but we never concentrated on it in the way that we are, you know, concentrated on MLK and I Have a Dream or Rosa Parks and the Montgomery bus boycott. Exactly. And, I mean, Rosa Parks... She did start a revolution. Mm -hmm. She certainly did start the American civil rights movement in this country in 1955. And I am very sorry that the rest of her life, you know, she spent dealing with those consequences. Yeah. And um, but she is one of the most revered figures in this country today. Rose Parks. She was born in 1913 in Tuskegee, Alabama. And she moved to Montgomery when she was a little girl, and she attended a school that was run by Quakers. Oh, uh, yeah. White Quakers who um, wanted to, you know, help to educate black youth. They were constantly being pilloried for it and attacked for it. Um, But I think that's where she began to learn strength for who she is and her place, because she deserves a place in society just like everyone else. And through the years, she became involved with the NAACP chapter in uh, Montgomery, Alabama. She was a seamstress all her life because she was just that kind of person, someone who was generous of soul, helpful, always willing to lend a hand. Uh, People and even people who didn't like Rosa Parks because of how she looked admired the respect that she showed everyone and everything. Magnanimous of spirit. She, and you know what? She did end up being the best candidate for the NAACP's campaign to discredit Jim Crow laws in the American South. And just a little bit of Ross's history corner for you here leading up to Rosa's uh, story where we start it. Uh, you know, at the end of the Civil War, we abolished slavery with the 13th Amendment in this country. Mm. Yeah. Um, It did basically nothing for black Americans. For about 12 years after that, the South was occupied by the American military. And 
slowly but surely inviting each one of the Confederate states back into the Union. And through these provisional governments, there were um, protections for freed black men to vote, to participate in the economy. And slowly but surely, through political turmoil within the Republican Party, because they were the air quote good guys back then, uh, the Republican Party literally, I think, just got so tired and got so caught up with their own infighting that the Democrats were slowly able to rise back to power by 1877 at the end of the Reconstruction period. And then you have the introduction of Jim Crow laws. I think uh, it's for about the late 1870s to the late 1890s, there was a slow but sure institution of, you know, the policy of separate but equal. Segregation. Yeah. And that was, I think, just because, you know, you had things like the Ku Klux Klan and the Red Shirts and those sorts of hate groups becoming more prominent in places like Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, the Carolinas. Homegrown domestic terrorism. Yeah. And through the terrorism of the Klan, by 1896 or 97, you will probably remember the case of Plessy versus Ferguson. Yes. In the U.S. Supreme Court, which is the landmark case that upholds federally the policy of separate but equal. Oh, boy. Because people in the South could not stand the fact that people they consider to be property shall now be afforded the same rights and privileges as they have, which they never were. Black men, black freedmen were slowly but surely disenfranchised, rounded up, either killed or put in prison or made so poor that they could have no quality of life. And it has been that way literally ever since. And the Jim Crow South was solidified by 1900. And so by the time Rosa begins to become involved in it, it's, you know, it's been 30, 40 years God. of just this strict separate but equal policy, which makes me crazy because you know how the politicians love to complain about government spending? Uh-huh. They have to pay for double of everything right. to segregate white people from people of color. Doesn't sound fiscally responsible to me. No. That's crazy. And they did it for a century. It's just, I just... Uh, going the extra mile to keep the public so segregated. And th- that's the that's the painful truth of Jim Crow is you see these people being forced to both live alongside us, but being completely disacknowledged at the same time in their existence. Yeah. Like, it, it, I can't. Like something so simple as going to the store to buy shoes or riding the bus. Or taking a drink from a public fountain. Like, or yeah, or going to get something to eat. Like, I, I can't imagine having to be separate. Oh, no. From and, other people like that. And that's as good a time as any for the, you know, the, the true and honest disclaimer that we're a pair of white people, right? Absolutely. Like, we only have a limited understanding of what all of this means, but that's why elevating black stories and black art is so important. Because the opportunities that we're just given, just just as a, just as something to be taken for granted is stuff that is something they have to work that much harder for. It's not enough to be as good as a white creator. You have to be twice as better. Yeah. Because that's how rotten the world is. And and that's such a complicated knot. But like we said, we're a pair of white people. We're going to try and stay in our lane and try to do this the justice it deserves. All right. Guys, you might have guessed it, but we've got names. Not a whole lot, but we've got a, we've got some good ones. <laughs> Do you see me dancing already? Guys, 
playing Rosa Louise Macaulay Parks. We have got the one, the only, the scintillating Angela Bassett, <laughs> the voodoo queen herself. Guys, she, guys. Obviously, she's Athena Grant on 911. Uh, she. It was, of course. Um, Marie Laveau, the voodoo queen in American Horror Story Coven. My favorite season. She's the queen of Wakanda. Yes. In the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, boy. Uh, Soul. Uh, Meet the Browns. Yes. Tyler Perry. Uh, oh, God. And that's the thing. I think uh, Angela Bassett is, I think, just a perfect choice for Rosa Parks. Because in the way that Rosa Parks was in some, if not universally, widely revered by people around the world. Angela Bassett also has that same quality to her in what she does. The universal belovedness of it all. Absolutely. She gives, I mean, waiting to exhale. I know. Are you fucking kidding me? That scene where she's smoking the cigarette and taking all the clothes out of his closet. And oh my God. <laughs> she just gives these, uh, the word is fortified. She gives these fortified performances. And you know what fortification suggests? What? Power. Oh my God. And that is why she is the perfect choice for this. Playing her husband, Raymond Parks, is Peter Francis James. Hello, Pete. Hi, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> He's beautiful. He is, he is a beautiful man. He's a good actor. Uh, Godfather of Harlem. Ooh. He's Archie Gaines in Godfather of Harlem. Time Traveler's Wife, What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, Carrie. Oh. Oh, Carrie. Oh, what? He is the voice of the shaman in Red Dead Redemption 2. <gasps> oh, my God. You're kidding me. No, this is just funny right now, guys, because Carrie Ann has been playing a lot of Red Dead Redemption, and we were literally just talking about it, and I literally just figured that out in this second. Oh, wow. Is the shaman a pivotal character in Red Dead Redemption? Or I, I don't have time. Okay. <laughs> I don't have time. <laughs> I don't have time. I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. Guys, we have Cicely Tyson here. Oh. And she's playing Rose's mother, Leona McCauley. Like Leona, like lioness? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I love Cicely Tyson. Cicely Tyson, you will know. <sighs> R.I.P. Oh, no, she's gone. Yeah, she is. She passed away last year. Oh, damn. Guys, she was with us when we did The Help. Mm -hmm. uh, when we were deconstructing White Savior movies. Yes. Absolutely. I know her also from House of Cards playing Congresswoman Doris Jones. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah she is the one. He, she's the Texas Congresswoman that Claire is using to try and steal her seat. Yeah. And they don't want to elect Claire because she's Lily White trying to run for a historically black district. That's right. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. coming back to me now. Mm -hmm. Yes. She also plays Helen's mother in Diary of a Mad Black Woman. That's right. Yes, she does. Oh, wait, but she She's also in Medea's family reunion. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's fabulous. And um, she's also, she's Viola Davis's mom in How to Get Away with Murder. Indeed, indeed. Cicely Tyson was a force, not only in the African-American community, but also in the entertainment world and has been since the 1970s. Oh. Over almost 50 years. I know. Cicely Tyson, we love you. I'm going to mention um, Chardé Monzi, who plays the young version of Rosa Parks. I also want to mention Tonia Stewart. She plays Johnny Carr, Rosie's best friend. Why is her name Johnny when her first name is Rebecca? Yeah, I know. Her name's Rebecca Darrens, but... But everyone calls her Johnny. Johnny, Which yeah. is fine, I guess. I just am not 
I, clear on why. I did not. I don't know. I actually, <laughs> I actually do not know why. But I love Tanya Stewart mostly just because she was in American Horror Story Coven with Angela Bassett. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's the the New Orleans society woman who comes to get her hair done with the voodoo queen. Love so, it. Yeah. No. And guys, I'm gonna. You know, there are other cast members, but this is a made-for-TV movie, and there's not a lot of information out there. But what you do need to know, uh, Von Coulter plays Edie Nixon, the president of the uh, Montgomery chapter of the NW. ACP, who Rosa Parks was secretary for, and also in the cast, playing Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., is Dexter Scott King. His son. His son. I was like, oh my God. Which, I mean, that is just great, because not only does Dexter Scott King look a lot like his father, because that's how genetics work, but he is also a professional actor. Which is just nuts, like... And imitating his father obviously comes very easily to him. <laughs> yeah, like, it's 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 amazing. That was perfect. Chef's kiss, no notes. Martin Luther King Jr. was the preacher at the Dexter Avenue Church, which Dexter Scott King is named after, I believe. Oh, man. Yes, and we will see that here in the movie. All right, guys, this is a made-for-TV movie. It's kind of hokey in places, but we'll get there. All right. So when we open up, we are in, I believe, the Dexter Avenue Church. We see these people all crowded around Mrs. Rosa Parks. And what Rosa is out in public to do today is she's going to give an interview to a journalist. And they're going to do it on the bus where she was arrested. Oh, so, so that white man in the shot with her, that is the journalist? Yes. Because that's like a... Okay, I'll come back to it in a second. Go ahead. There's Sorry. a very famous photograph of Rosa Parks sitting on the bus, and there is a man with a notepad, a white man with a notepad sitting behind her, interviewing her about her arrest and the Montgomery bus boycott. I love the production quality of this first part of the movie, of her being led out of the church and like all of these angry people yelling at her, all these angry white Alabamans. <laughs> And then they put her on the bus and it kind of melds into like, not wholly a flashback, but it's like Rose is remembering everywhere she's been up until this point. And that is the story we begin to get. And then we transition to uh, Alabama in the early 1920s, uh, where little Rosa Louise McCauley is being taken to school uh, by her mother, Leona, at uh, Miss White's. She's nine years old. Mm-hmm. Because it's, I think it's specifically, it's 1922. Yes. And this is where, you know, Rosa's family was from a place called Pine Level. And it's in the country. And so she hasn't been, obviously, insulated from white supremacy, but she lived in a more wholly black community mm-hmm. as a child. So it's, it, and of course they live with the fear of violence against them for who they are. But when they moved to Montgomery, she began to see more prevalently as the child, the threat of the Klan, the threat of Jim Crow, you know. Segregation. And segregation in general. And one of the uh, friends that she makes at Miss White School is uh, Rebecca Darrance. I'm Rebecca Darrance. You can call me Jack. So what do you think about Miss White School so far? It's a lot different from what I'm used to. But this is the first time you was ever in the schoolroom with just the ride on and glass in the windows. And you never seen a chalkboard before. Or had a white teacher. How do you know all this? 
from the Country Girls Eat Tomato Sandwiches. I love how Johnny immediately knows she's from the country because of that tomato sandwich. Like, it, yeah, I know. No, I just, listen, I understand it might have have been, you know, like a financial choice there, just the tomato, but tomato sandwiches. Explain yourselves. <laughs> I love there's this little scene where one of the teachers in class, there's this girl named Rowena who's ripping up her test in frustration because she didn't do very well. And <laughs> Rowena, did you not do well on your test? Well, you know she didn't. Why else would she be acting this way? And Rowena's like, Miss Barton, of course I didn't. I'm too stupid. I don't understand why we bother learning anything when all we're going to end up doing is wiping white people's babies' snotty noses and cleaning their houses. It's a legitimate question. Because we have covered the help. Yeah. And that is that was the destiny of a lot of uh, people of color in the South, like, to serve white people. Yeah, and so it's like, why should I bother getting myself an education if I'm just going to be oppressed in the future? <laughs> and Miss Barton's like, does anyone want to answer Rowena's question? And Little Roses stands up and goes... <laughs> I was raised to believe if I put my mind to it, I could do whatever I want in this world. I was taught no one's better than me. No man, no woman, black or white. No one. If white folks say... No one. A person take everything from you, even your life, but they can't take your dignity. Can't nobody take that from you but you. That's what my grandpappy told me, and I believe it. And Rose is like, no, that's bullshit. Let me tell you, I was raised to believe that if I put my mind to it, I can achieve anything I want and nobody can take your identity. No one but you. Which, listen, I understand that that's inspiring and that is the mindset we should have when it comes to combating white supremacy and institutional racism. Mm -hmm. However, it is giving that taste in my mouth that comes from whitewash narratives. No, yeah, that's, yep, mm-hmm, uh-huh, exactly. It does not matter what we are living in or who's responsible for it. We should just pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. This was 2002. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> like, I get it. And so we transition to 1931, Montgomery, Alabama. 18-year-old Rosa McCauley is out with her cousin Fanny and her friends. <laughs> They're they're so segregated, they have to sit on top of the bus. No, when I saw that, I was like, Ross, why is he hanging out of the top of the bus? He, literally. And you said, because he's not allowed to sit inside the bus. And I was like, oh, God. Just the difficulty of literally just being black and existing. Yeah. Like... <sighs> But it is kind of nice to see this nice little community that Rosa is a part of. And uh, the rain starts coming down hard, right? Mm -hmm. And we are uh, we are taken into the barbershop where Raymond Parks works as a barber. I love Peter Francis James. I'm surprised. He looks, I'm sorry, pardon me, but he looks a lot like Barack. Yeah, he like Barack Obama. Like Barack Obama. And the fact that he hasn't played Obama is just honestly a crime. It is. Beware the mask that grins and lies. It hides our cheeks and shades eyes. Mm -hmm. This debt we pay to human guys. Torn and bleeding hearts. We smile. Pause. Don't let me have to take that straight raise out your hands. He just, he makes me giggle. He does. He gives me really good vibes. He's, like, he's very passionate about local politics and current events within the burgeoning civil rights movement. Like, 
he's already following the story of the Scottsboro Boys, like many people were that year. Uh, the Scottsboro Boys, who were uh, those black men who were accused wrongfully of assaulting a couple of white women, right? In Tennessee. Yeah. yeah. Good grief. And he's trying to raise money for them so they can like get out of prison, like actually have a legal defense. <laughs> and like, I just, the one thing I do get from him is ego. Oh yeah. You know, like absolutely. Box, I'm gonna be late for work. You know. <laughs> You're talking, and I'm going to be late for work. Like, And so, like you said, it's raining, and Rosa and her friends come into the barbershop to get out of the rain. And from the moment Raymond Parks lays eyes on 18-year-old Rosa, he's Twitter-pated. I'm like, sir, pull your 29-year-old tongue back in your head. <laughs> he's like, I'm Raymond Parks. Everybody calls me Parks. I wish you would, too. I have to go. What's your name? You're getting wet. You better hurry up and tell me your name before I drive. So then we get this montage of their courtship, right? Yeah. Raymond pulling up to Rosa's family's farm in that beautiful red Studebaker. Mm-hmm. And Rosa's beside herself. She's like, she can't believe that he's literally followed her home. She's jumping and waving her hands. She can't believe it. He's got flowers for her. Yeah. And she's she just continuously is telling her mother and her brother to tell him that I can't come to the door. Oh, yeah. Just Raymond making repeated attempts to get her to spend time with him and and her hiding in the back of the house becoming more and more charmed by his persistence which just makes my eyes roll persistence is not charming at all to me (laughs) when he shows up that last time her mama gets so sick of it all that she just finally lets him in yeah come on what do you say mama He said, it's a good thing gladiolas grow year-round. <laughs> and so they go on a little fishing date together. Aww. How sweet. Yeah. Rosa and her grandfather fished a lot together as kids, so I'm sure this was a Rosa-suggested activity. Yeah, and they're swapping stories about their families. Like, she had a good relationship with her family for the most part, especially her granddad. Mm-hmm. And Raymond did not have a good relationship with his family, really, because his dad was you know, a drinker and used to beat up on him and his mom. Because he was half white. Yeah. I, well, I don't know if that's the reason he did those things, well, but it is. That's what Raymond says. Okay. That was his problem. It was those times he couldn't pass that he ate away at it. Took it out on my mother and me. When it finally took off, we had ourselves a little party. We heard he died falling off the roof. I had myself an even bigger party. Oh, God. When he finally left them, they had a party. Yeah. And then and then they had an even bigger party when he fell off a roof and died. And Rosa has, you know, the utmost sympathy for him. And she gives him a kiss. She gives him a little kiss on the cheek. Mm, he's 10 years older than her, but whatever. You know. I'll well, get just, over it. Well, you know, it, it's just, it's a sign of her respect. She knows he's into her, and he's had a pretty rough life up until this point, and she's done pretty okay. This scene where the, he's taken her home in that nice car. Oh, and yeah. if there's one thing you can't be in Alabama in 1930, whatever the hell, it's a black man with a nice car. Yeah, here comes Barney fucking Fife. 
up in the police car. And as he's walking up to the car, when we were watching this, I said aloud, well, he's going to ask him whose car it is because that train is never late. And sure enough. Ooh, whose car is this? Man. You wouldn't be uh, lying to me now, would you, boy? I can vouch that this car is his. Is that right? Rose is so scared, I, as she has every right to be. Absolutely. And, like, Raymond's sitting there just pissed. He's trying to maintain his composure because it doesn't matter how angry or frustrated he is with this out-and-out racism that's happening right now. If he gets upset, they will take it as license to be rough with him. And the only thing that saves them is there's a call coming in over the radio in the police car. Yeah. And they have to leave. And, like, they just tell him to get off the road. They yeah. can't stand the sight of him. Yeah, no, they, they don't want him to be on the road at all. You did the right thing, Hawks. I didn't do anything. Sometimes that's the right thing. Sometimes it ain't. We see that Rosa is working as a seamstress at the Montgomery Fair department store in Montgomery. And th during the time, this is during the time of the Scottsboro case and these poor black men have been imprisoned. And Parks has allegedly gone to Tennessee to help the NAACP to get involved with the case. Also, interestingly enough, at early in their marriage and early in their courtship, they would go to meetings of the Communist Party together. Hey! Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And we see Rosa working in the department store. And as soon as her two white supervisors leave the room, she is looking at this paper that is reporting that there are two dead black men in Scottsboro. And she is scared to death that one of them is Parks. Yeah. So she telephones a Mr. Jeter who works at the uh, barbershop. And she's asking if he's there. And Mr. Jeter says, I haven't seen Raymond since he went to Scottsboro. You. Oh, dear. Yeah. We, we see her sitting outside on a bench, like, sewing. And we see her look over to the both white and colored drinking fountains. She sees this man and his grandson drinking from the white drinking fountain. And that's where we kind of get this little flashback from Rosa of her as a little girl and her brother switches the white and colored signs on the drinking fountains. Yeah. To, so that they can try the white fountain to see if the water tastes better. Yeah. And they think it tastes almost worse. Yeah. <laughs> And then this white guy comes up with his dog and, like, shoes them, tells them to get. Yeah, I know. It's awful. And then he drinks out of the, he drinks out of the air quote, colored drinking fountain. Yeah, it's not, because the kids switched the signs. Yeah. And, and he does not tell the difference. And he cannot tell the difference. But he then lets the dog drink out of the air quote, colored drinking fountain. Which, Ross... I, I'm not going to get that super upset about it because it's just precious for me as a, and I don't mean that as a compliment. Like it's precious for me as a white woman to just have that kind of uh, blind rage about it. Cause it's not like I don't understand the machinations of why people acted this way. It's the fact that it really, none of it means anything. None of it means anything. It's just all about maintaining power. It, yes. And that makes me crazy. We see Rosa coming home and she's like in tears because she knows in her heart that Parks is dead. 
and <laughs> she's walking through her house. She's walking through her house asking for her mom and brother, and she gets into the kitchen and she storms into the kitchen because Parks is sitting there at the table praying <laughs> with Miss Leona. I'm only laughing because I honestly probably would have given him a punch in the shoulder. Like, how dare you scare me that way? Yeah. For taking off and me not hearing from you and thinking you're dead. But she just melts into his arms. She's so happy he's back. She's like, I thought you were dead. Your car's not here. What happened to your face? He's got this huge bruise on his face. And he's obviously been beaten in Scottsboro. I'm all right. What happened to your face? I sold the car. As long as I have you, I don't need anything else. This was my question about this uh, scene. Did he sell that beautiful car to give money to the Scottsboro Fund? Probably. Like, I was just like, oh, wow. I don't know that for sure, but... Okay, all right. I just, That's the context of the scene made me think that. I was like, wow. It's just an example of something that he can't have because of the way he looks. Yeah, the, Jesus. A very nice thing that he worked very, very hard for that he cannot now enjoy because he is not the uh, nation's prescribed epitome of an individual, you Be- know? Because of white supremacy. Because Literally because of white supremacy. And so they get hitched. Yeah, they get married. It's a beautiful affair. It is. It's very nice. Honestly, and... I mean, I know we, st- I know they still do it in Europe and in the UK, but whatever those teeny little hats women used to wear over their updos, mm-hmm. there's a word for it. I can't remember what it is. I think they're called pleasers. No, those are boots. Um, yeah. and, and never mind. But we should bring those back into Western fashion. So we flash forward to 1942, and this is where we're like we're going to begin to see how this fight begins with Rosa. And this is an a- this next scene that we cover here is an actual experience of Rosa Parks. Uh, I th- I thought my whole I thought this whole time that this was a dramatization, mm-hmm. you know, just to give you, you know, the gravity of the situation, but no, this this really did happen to her, this scene. Um let me talk to you a little bit about segregation code at the time because w- Speaking of cars, you know, something that a lot of black people, it was very difficult for them to obtain. And so, consequentially, black people use public transport, which is, of course, segregated. Uh, can I can I read you a little bit from this thing about Montgomery Customs? So it says, in 1900, Montgomery passed a city ordinance to segregate bus passengers by race. Conductors were empowered to assign seats to achieve that goal. According to the law, no passenger would be required to move or give up their seat and stand if the bus was crowded and no other seats were available. And over time, by custom, Montgomery bus drivers adopted the practice of requiring black riders to move when there were no white-only seats left. Mm. So, So the very policy that these drivers are using is not the actual law. Oh, so they are in fact the ones violating the yeah, law. Yeah, I know. This whole thing happened because the drivers were breaking the law. Great. Fabulous. They weren't even respecting the law. The first four rows of seats on each Montgomery bus were reserved for whites. Buses had colored sections for black people, generally in the rear of the bus, although blacks composed more than 75% of the ridership. The sections were not fixed, but determined by placement of movable signs. Oh, we'll come back to the movable sign. Uh, black people could sit in the middle rows until white until the white section was filled. If more whites needed seats, blacks were to move to seats in the rear stand, or if there was no room, leave the bus. 
Okay. Uh, black people could not sit across the aisle from the same row as a white person. The driver could move the colored section sign or remove it altogether. If white people were already sitting in the front, black people had to board at the front to pay the fare and then disembark and re-enter through the rear. Oh, brother. So when... Rosa is getting on this bus. It's raining. She's obviously gotten off of work. She works downtown Montgomery. And she would always take this bus to go to her home at Cleveland Avenue. And the driver of the bus is a man named James F. Blake. Oh, we have a name! Yes. That's great! I hope he's rotting in hell. So this is this is 12, 13 years before the famous arrest. And Rosa is at the end of the line. She gets on and she pays. She drops her dime in the box and then walks back to her seat. Yeah. And ev- the, you, the audible gasp you can hear from these people. Mm-hmm. The, the, they are just, they are literally clutching their pearls at the fact that this black woman just walked past them after getting on the bus. Instead of getting back off. And getting back on in the back. Yeah. And... The driver gets up out of his seat and says, what the hell do you think you're doing? I'm going to ride with my bus. You're going to get off and come back home. Round the back. Do you hear me? Do not put your hands on me. And then finally, after everyone else on the, all the other white people on the bus are like, just get up. Like, you are making me late. Like, get on with it. And she does it. But when she gets off the bus, he closes the door on her umbrella and drives away with it. Uh, Ross? Her trying to yank it out of the bus. Uh. Like, just, uh, my elevator drops so quickly. Like, and then he he drives up farther, gets down into the door, opens it up, throws her... A broken umbrella in the mud and drives away. She has to walk home in the pouring rain. Five miles. Yeah. In the pouring rain. Uh, at, at night. Like, that's so, that's so awful. Yeah. Like, she could have been, she was so vulnerable to any number of things that could have happened to her in those five miles. And, of course, when she gets home, she's incensed by this. Yeah. She's wet, her feet hurt, she's pissed off. And the way Raymond, and and listen, I understand where he's coming from here. He's like, listen, I know this sucks, the way you were treated, Mm -hmm. but this is the way it's always been. And she's like, well, it ain't right. (laughs) The last time I checked, the dime I pay for the token to ride those buses is the same color as the dime the white folks use. We are paying to be humiliated, and it does not make sense. Since when did these peck of woods ever make sense? And then he puts on light jazz. <laughs> no, I'm laughing because this is the 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 obligatory uh, intimacy scene. Yeah, no. For for the made for TV movie. <laughs> because what Leona sees a picture of Johnny in the paper. Johnny from childhood, Rebecca Darren's. Yeah. She's a part of the NAACP in Montgomery now. And she's taken the newspaper to their bedroom door like, Rosa, didn't you know a girl named Johnny in school? Like, she's hearing the paper. She can hear the jazz she, in the room. She can hear the jazz and the moaning and she's like, oh, and the way Cicely Tyson is tiptoeing away from the fucking like, Trying to fold the paper so it doesn't make noise. <laughs> So, and, obviously, 
Luckily, she, Rosa, did get the news that Johnny now works for the NAACP. And she goes down to the Montgomery NAAC headquarters. <laughs> She's to... interrupting a meeting. Yeah, but she wants to see her bestie Johnny. You know, they hug and they're reuniting. And one of the members is like, hold on now. Are you a member of the NAACP? And she's like, well, no, I'm not. Because Johnny makes her sit down with them. Yeah. And he's like, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute, hold on now. Are you a member? Member. Of the NAACP? That's us. The people you just interrupted. Well, no. No, you sit right here. Well, you are hereby a member in good standing. Dues are collected at the end of the month. <laughs> they immediately induct her and tell her to take notes. They immediately make her the secretary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ed Nixon? No, not Ed. E.D. Nixon. Yeah, E.D. Nixon was the president of that chapter, the NAACP. And he's like, and you'll even be a better member. If you take good notes. Yeah, exactly. And gives her the notepad. And I love how Johnny describes him as noisy but harmless. Yes. <laughs> and that was Edie Nixon. Yeah. You know? And you, I love I love how Rosa says to him, is like, listen, I can take good notes. I can do that. But I hope you know that's not the only thing I could bring to this. She's so mean. What else can you do? Well, you tell me what you need and... Uh... I will tell you if I can do it. <laughs> Same old Rosa. <laughs> we got this group called the Youth Council. School-age kids in need of an adult advisor for things like counseling, Bible study, teaching self-esteem. I love it. And Mr. Nixon tells her that they need someone who can work with black youth in Montgomery, doing Bible studies, teaching them self-esteem, doing classes, giving them an education, being a teacher. Yeah. And, yeah. See, that's why I thought when we when we watched this, I was like, what was her occupation? Was she a school teacher? No, she wasn't, but she was a teacher to the Black Youth Council. In her role as secretary of the NAACP of that chapter, she did so many different things. She was a coordinator. Yeah. Like, she didn't just answer Edie Nixon's mail and you know, and, you know, make his telephone calls. Like exactly, she worked with the youth. She worked with black men in prison who were wrongfully imprisoned. Like she did a lot. These are all things that were news to me. Yeah, literally, literally, that we weren't taught that in school. We were taught that this was a old seamstress who didn't want to give up her seat because she was tired. Yeah, you know how how incredibly wrong that her narrative was whitewashed for us like that. I know it's ridiculous. And so by the time Rosa gets home that night, she's a full-fledged member of the NAACP. And Raymond is going to have a problem with this. Well, yeah. Because working with the NAACP means she's going to be in the line of fire of a lot of hatred and violence. He's He literally says something to the effect of, a bomb doesn't care what color you are. Yeah. And like not only that, he doesn't think very much of the NAACP. He thinks they're ineffectual cowards. They were not very effective in the Scottsboro case. Yeah, which is why he believes this. Yes. So, yeah, he's got kind of a bad taste in his mouth as far as the NAACP is concerned. And Rose is like, listen, I, it's not like I'm going to be one of the leaders. I'm not going to be out here preaching in churches. I'm not going to be, you know, in marches. I, I'm just, I, I, I enjoy my work. I answer his mail, Ray. Yeah, yeah. Do you know how many times <laughs> she says the line, I enjoy my work? Exactly. Well, I'm only volunteering, so I'll do as much as I can or I want to. That's what scares me. 
You do all you ask to do and then some. Are you afraid that I won't be home as often? I'm afraid you can't run fast enough. And then you won't be home at all. No, the police watch those meetings, Rosa. I don't have to tell you what can happen. I won't be one of the leaders, Parks. Oh, you think a stick of dynamite cares if you just a secretary? I love how Rosa and Raymond are constantly kissing each other out of arguments. Yeah, it's sweet. Like every altercation they have ends in sex, kisses, or food. Yeah. You know? Oh, I love it. <laughs> Which is a testament to the strength of their relationship. So yeah, Raymond's not too happy about this, but Rosa's, in, of course, as I say, enjoying her work. We see her teaching the Bible to these young black children. And then we see this scene. Oh, this scene. Oh, here we go. Rosa is like, you know what? I'm a member of the NAACP now. I should be registered to vote. The, I have in all capital letters, the voter registration debacle. Because there was no law that could stop black people from voting, at least that I'm aware of in this moment. But there's, like we always talk about even today with voter disenfranchisement, there's nothing to stop the white registrars from making it as difficult as possible for them to register to vote. Yeah, no, she's gone down to the county courthouse. And we are with the county clerk, who is this white woman. Yeah, this horrible white woman. Yeah, just uh, Margie or whatever the fuck her name is. (laughs) I wrote Eunice. I just made something up. Answer the questions completely and legibly, front and back. Next. Morning, Mr. Lester. We finally made it into register. Yeah, boys been all me to get it done, so I figured I might as well do it. Yeah, if you were black, you had to complete literacy tests to vote. Like, isn't it? It's not just a literacy test. It's a test about how the government works. It is indeed. Yeah. And so she takes her clipboard off to the side, sits down, and starts answering her questions. And there's this white man in line behind her who walks right up and registers to vote. Without a test. He's saying, he's being very friendly with the with the clerk. Hi, Margie. How's Hank and the kids? They're being very cordial. I'll see you in church. Wait, where, whereas when Margie was staring at Rosa, she looked like she had the most foul stench underneath her nose yeah and rosa completes her tests brings it back up the margie takes a half a second look at that paper and goes you didn't pass and throws the clipboard down and doesn't even give her a reason you didn't pass what you failed the test it's a requirement to satisfactorily complete the civic test to register to vote I would like the test back, please. I'm afraid that's against our policy. Well, how will I know what questions I got wrong? And she slams the out to lunch sign down. You know what? And walks away. I hope she chokes on her tuna fish sandwich or whatever the hell she's eating. Whatever white mayo-based salad sandwich she brought to work today. And, like, this happens again. We see Rosa back on a different day. She hands in her test. Margie looks at it about twice as long as she did the last time. Sipping her coffee. Yeah, and then she just takes the papers off the clipboard crumples them up, shakes her head, and walks away. And then Rosa's like absolutely on fire now, and Mm -hmm. she storms out. And we see Raymond and Rosa on their front porch. Rosa's cracking open green beans while Parks has given her questions. Yeah. Like flashcards to answer, you know. She's studying so she can make sure she gets all these questions right. Because the next time she gets all the questions right and still fails, she knows she has something actionable on her hands, right? Give me another one. The judicial and legislative branches makes and enforces laws. Next. 
the U.S. Supreme Court. You know, Rosie, you know all of this mess, probably better than most lawyers. How many lawyers do you think they turn away down at that courthouse? White or colored? That is my point. And so she goes back a third time. And this time, when she takes the test, she writes the questions down on the test for herself to keep, right? Uh -huh. And so she goes up, she hands the test in to Margie for the third time. And I love this because Margie sees that she's written down the questions, right? This is the third time I've taken this test. What is it? Oh, the uh, questions from the test. I wrote them down along with my answers. If you tell me that I failed again, I want a lawyer to tell me what I'm doing wrong. And Margie, <laughs> as, though, and, as though Rosa has just pissed on her desk, storms away to her supervisor. This tiny little man yeah. in a suit jacket. The supervisor is leading Margie by the elbow back to the <laughs> counter. Give it to me. That'll be $12, $1.50 for each year past the age of 21, the first year you should have registered. And Margie slams her clipboard down and goes, that'll be $12. The way I almost levitated off the sofa when she said, okay, $12, but there's a uh, asterisk there, isn't it? Yeah, the fact that it's $1.50 to register to vote and then $1.50 after that for every year after the age of 21, which is the first year you should register. Y you were saying it to me so quickly as if you were trying to prevent me from becoming violent. <laughs> you like, like, it's not a thing anymore. It's not a thing. It's not a thing anymore. <laughs> God. I mean, it is, but like, we don't get charged. It just gets taxed. Yeah, whatever. Y you know. And like, I just love the little sourpuss on that horrible white woman's face. Rosa throws her hands up and just goes, thank you. <laughs> and walks away so serenely. Oh, it's great. But voting is another thing. Yeah. She got registered, but voting is another thing. Remember in The Help, when Emma Stone approaches Viola Davis, when Skeeter approaches Abilene and is like, I want to I wanna interview you. Abilene's like, they set my cousin Charnel's car on fire just for going down to the voting station. Yeah. Yeah, like... Like, that's every... Every single thing is a humongous hurdle. Literally. And it's, it's, it's the definition of institutional bigotry. So we come to another NAACP gathering, and this is where we are having the conversation about Claudette Coleman. Yeah, this is in 1955. Yeah. It's time to talk about Claudette Coleman. Again, a name I never heard in school. Claudette Coleman was a 15-year-old child who would not give up her seat to a white man on a segregated bus. And she was one of the first people to do that to stand up to a white driver and a white passenger and say, I shall not be moved. And got arrested for it. And she got arrested for it. And the NAACP, especially Edie Nixon, is like, here's what I'm thinking. We should use this case to start a boycott of the buses. And this boycott will then start the revolution that we need. And, uh, you know, other members of the NAACP were like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute now. This this is a 15-year-old. Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to be reductive here, but they're looking for their Mockingjay. Yeah, literally, literally. They're looking for their Mockingjay. And the thing is, is that, yeah, she's a teenager um, so was Katniss. I, I, I know. That's what makes me crazy about it. 
that's what makes me crazy about it. Like, she's a young kid. She's not necessarily the person that we want to springboard this entire movement, right? Yeah. So, you know, yes, it was a humongous thing, and we should definitely be taught about Claudette Colvin in school. If you weren't, I'm going to drop the link to the drunk history where Amber Ruffin talks about her. I mean, I feel like the Park story and the Colvin story go hand in hand. Exactly. You know, the, the Park story is because of the Colvin case, Mm -hmm. you know. What happened? Colored girl got arrested on the bus. Claudette Colvin. For not giving a pussy to a white man. We need to find someone who will swell up the people like a revival's going on. Claudette is 15. She's just a child. Claudette's not the one. And as they're sitting there, there's this woman that comes in and she's half in tears. Oh dear. Yes. See, I was holding my breath in that moment. Because I swear to God, I was thought she was going to open her mouth and say, my name is Mamie Till Bradley. Because her son, Emmett Till, was murdered that same year. Yeah. And I thought this was going to have something to do with that. Hello. Uh, may I help you? I'm looking for Mr. Nixon. Oh, I'm afraid he's gone for the day. Is there something I can do for you? It's my boy. Elijah. He needs help. And she just breaks down. Oh, and Rosa boy. and this other woman just kind of have to hold her and tell her it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, it, it's kind of like Mayella Yule in To Kill a Mockingbird. Ah. She claims that this young black man assaulted her violently, and he's been put in prison for it. This mother has come to the NAACP to ask for help, just begging. And th- the fact that Rosa Parks actually did go to prison to interview this young man to get the facts of the case. He's been arrested for assaulting a white woman who was actually a childhood friend of his. Like, it's not like they were strangers. They knew each other very well. Mm -hmm. And he describes a situation in which they were in her bedroom and he doesn't get too explicit about it, but basically some white men peek their noses in the window and don't like what they see. Mm -hmm. And this young woman, Sarah, lies and says that he forced his way inside. Ain't that nobody can do to help me. You got to have faith, Elijah. I expect I can cry out my faith away, ma'am. Police being here. All the time talking about how they're going to watch me fry. And just the look in Rose's eyes, you yeah. know, like she, she, she knows what this is about, but it's just like, this is putting it all in perspective for her. And we, we see her wringing her hands, walking back and forth on their front porch, telling Parks about it. She really wants to help this boy. Yeah. Like she thinks that she can actually, you know, affect the outcome of his life. And Parks is like, come on, this is a lost cause. Yeah. And no, she's like, that, that young man did not rape that girl. And he's like, listen. This young man was caught in bed with a white girl. You should be thankful the police got to him before the Klan did. So is it better to fry than to be lynched? You know what I'm saying. What if he were our son, Hawks? How thankful would we be then? If he was my son, what would it on between him and that girl never would have happened? You don't know that, Paul. Oh, but I do. Because I'd have made damn sure that he knew how to southward. That's the mindset of all parents. 
in situations where they're, where other people's kids get in trouble, black or white, green with stripes, it doesn't matter. It could never happen to my child. <laughs> the line where he says, these cemeteries are full with young black men. Rosa, there's also quite a few black men and women. The way she says to him, yes, but I've never sat across from them and seen the helplessness in their eyes. Yeah. I've seen that now. I don't know them. And Raymond's like, well, you don't know this guy either, so why should you help him? And I'm like, Raymond, really? <laughs> yeah. Like, you were the one fighting for this way before she ever was. Like, I don't know if he was acquainted with the Scottsboro Boys before they ended up in prison, but he sure was hair on fire excited about helping them, and he might not have ever looked into their eyes before it's just like again these situations are in no way comparable but it reminds me of jack finding rose hanging over the edge of the titanic going no i i'm involved now i've seen it i have to do something right so we then see rosa taking um this group of black children to the white branch of Montgomery Public Library. Because, yeah, obviously, segregation still exists in the libraries. But the thing is, is that even like you said at the top, the government had to pay for two of everything in order to support segregation. Mm -hmm. But sometimes not even that. Literally. Because the resources at black libraries were so pitiful that black children often went without the resources they need to complete an education. Well, they didn't need it anyway, right? Oh, stop. I I know you're trying to make their quote point. Mm -hmm. I just can't stand it because, and Rose is getting ready to make a stink about it. No, yeah. Rose is telling these children, you need to remain calm. We're just going to do what we came here to do, just like any other day. She brings a whole Little League team worth of young black children (laughs) into this white library and has them line up in front of the librarian to check out books. These white girls are checking out books and they head on their way. And the way that librarian's face falls. She practically flinches. You must put in a request at your own branch to have the book sent to you. That takes too long. By the time you send it, I won't need it anymore. Well, I can't help that. Your procedure is unjust and insulting to anyone who knows right from wrong. (laughs) The way she's gagged, like... Yeah. (laughs) This kid's like 10, right? Yeah. This kid's like 10 years old. And then he steps to the side and goes over and stands by Rosa, and there's 10 more kids. (laughs) She's got them lined up. This, the other the next girl comes up and goes, I'd like to check out a book, please. And like, it's just, this is going to be your life now, lady, until something gets fixed. And this is what Mr. Nixon wanted Rosa to do. He She wanted to teach these kids self-esteem, but she also wanted to teach them about being civil, being polite. You know, you, you do everything the way with basic human dignity and respect for everyone else. And no one can claim you've done anything wrong. Yeah, you, you literally... Claim your right to your own dignity. Exactly. Exactly. I do love that this movie does show us scenes like this. You know, it's a it's an attempt, however strong, I'm not sure, to make Rosa Parks look like the calculated civil rights activist she actually was, mm-hmm. and not just a tired middle-aged lady who didn't want to give up her seat on the bus. The sequence where she is walking into the church and Elijah's mother is sitting there. And she's just praying silently to herself. Rosa comes up and sits down next to her. And she just looks at her and she says to Rosa, It's, it's tonight. I know. I think 
down and kill my boy, Mrs. Sparks. <laughs> the it that is happening tonight is, if I'm going based off the context, is her son being executed her, tonight? Her son is being executed. Oh, my God. God! A black man is being insecure. I, I want you to think of all of the cases in American history where a white man has been put to death for rape. I can't, actually. Exactly. Yeah. They're putting this black man to death for something he might have done. For, might have done. And do you know how many black men died that way? Like, that's the thing, bud. That's what makes me really think about the judicial system is that like, when black men are lynched, that's extrajudicial, and even some of the weakest white men still found, you know, the common sense to say, that's wrong, because it was extrajudicial, right? Mm -hmm. Like, whatever these horrible white men think that that young black boy did wrong, there's no reason they should have attacked him without due process, because that was, like, the bare friggin' minimum Literally. for a lot of white men. But then it's perfectly fine. When we take them through an established judicial system that's already rife with institutional racism, and as long as a white jury convicts him of this crime, whether he actually did it or not, then it is just. And that enrages me. And as they're praying, we see the shot of Rosa exiting the headquarters of the NAACP to hang, as she, as she so often did, the flag outside that says a man was lynched today. Yeah. Which was a display that was there far too often. And so we go to Montgomery Fair Department Store. It's December 1st, 1955. Here it is, everybody. Yeah. The, the fucking incident. incident. Okay. She's leaving the store. We hear the we hear the Christmas music playing in the square. And she's crossing from Montgomery Fair over to the circle stop where she got on the bus. And that fucking asshole is behind the wheel again. Yeah, and it's James F. Blake. Yeah, just for, again, in case you didn't get it last time, you got a pen? James F. Blake. He is the same officer who put her off in 1942. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the reality of this event before we watch them play it out. Because oh, okay. the movie ends pretty quickly, not too long after this. Yeah. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the actual event here. So, after working all day, Parks boarded the Cleveland Avenue bus, a General Motors old look bus, you know, the big yellow look. Yeah. Um, it was 6 p.m. It was Thursday, December 1st, 1955. She paid her fare and sat in empty seat in the first row of back seats reserved for blacks in the air quote colored section. Um, near the middle of the bus, uh, her row was directly behind the 10 seats that were reserved for white passengers. So the bus was traveling along and it stopped at a stop in front of the Empire Theater. Mm hmm. Um, and several white passengers boarded the bus and Blake noted that two or three white passengers were still standing. And so the, what he did was he moved the colored section sign to the row behind Rosa and the three other black individuals that were sitting in that row. And in the beginning, Blake said, y'all are going to make it lighter on yourselves if you let me have these seats. Oh, God. And none of them moved to Re begin with. Really? And then, and yeah, and then Blake said, give me these seats. And so three of them moved and Rosa did not. Because what Parks did was she was sitting on the outer seat. But when that man got up out of her row, she moved to the window seat. Yeah. As if to go, here's three other seats. They can sit down. Yeah. Yeah. Who 
And that's the thing. That's th- this is the calculation of this. Rosa did not sit down in the white section of the bus, but she sat as close as possible mm-hmm. to the white section so that this would happen. And Blake said, why don't you stand up? And Park said, I don't think I should have to stand up. And then he said, if you do not stand up, I will call the police and have you arrested. And Park said, you may do that. Yeah. Oh, those are great words. Yeah. I love this. This is from her autobiography. It's called My Story Mm -hmm. by Rosa Parks. She said, people always say that I didn't give up my seat because I was tired. But that isn't true. I was not tired physically or no more tired than I usually was at the end of a working day. I was not old, although some people have an image of me as this old person. I was 42. Yeah, exactly. N- no, the only tired I was was tired of giving in. Uh-huh. I, the shots of these white people looking so incensed by her. And then, you know, majority of the riders on the bus were black. Mm-hmm. And the genuine concern on these people's faces, like, you better do what he says. Mm-hmm. Don't make trouble for yourself. And like nobody else raised their voice. And that bus sat there until Detectives Day and Mixon arrived to arrest her. And even Mixon and Day were a little wary of doing this. Uh-huh. Uh, from what they could tell, you know, they, they it's almost they were a little bit with Blake, like, you really want us to do this? Like, there are seats. Yeah. Yeah, but they can't obviously sit together. Like, in the movie version, when we see all of this happen, the dialogue up until that point is pretty accurate. And then, the you know, one of the detectives well, she's sitting in the colored section. Yeah. And then Blake moves the sign. Uh-huh. Now, I told her I needed that seat, and she wouldn't move. Exactly. I want her arrested. I want her arrested. Why won't you stand up? Why do you all push us around? Will you listen to that? The law is the law. Lady, you're under arrest. And just this music swell as she's being, she didn't resist. She got up, just like they asked her to, and they let her off the bus and to a police car to take her into booking. I'm going to read you the real police report. Oh, really? Yes, I am. Oh, wow. Okay, shit. Police Department, City of Montgomery, day 12155. Complainant J.F. Blake. Offense. Miscellaneous. Okay. That's like, that's almost like disorderly conduct when you want to arrest them for no reason. Exactly. God. Place of occurrence in front of Empire Theater on Montgomery Street. Complaint. We received a call upon arrival. The bus operator said that he had a colored female sitting in the white section of the bus and would not move. We, Day and Mixon, also saw her. The bus operator signed a warrant for her. Uh, Rosa Parks of 634 Cleveland Court uh, was charged with Chapter 6, Section 11 of the Montgomery City Code. Warrant 14254, signed J.R. Day and D.W. Mixon. And then there is a bo- there is a place at the bottom of this police report. There's It's like for office use. The offense is declared, and there's four options. Unfounded, cleared by arrest, exceptionally cleared, inactive. 
none of the boxes are ticked. Oh, oh God. Yeah. So wait a minute. Doesn't that mean and you, that they don't have to immediately dispensate her? Exactly. And like then, they can hold her however the long they want. Mm-hmm. And then you can see up in the top corner here they've written miscellaneous. Like it's not even in an official capacity. It's written in the margin for Christ's sake. Yeah. I'm like, sorry. I can't, ugh. fuck twelve. Literally. <laughs> don't you don't you love Rosa's mugshot? She's almost got a smile on her face. Yeah, she's almost grinning. And like there's just this cute little half smile. Like Seven, and y'all. <laughs> Seven zero five three. Exactly. You know. Yeah. So did a thing. <laughs> yeah. Like she's oh God. I can't believe how much history tried to take away from her when it came to her activism. Like I, I will never not be mad about it until the day I die. See, like the the people want to believe that this was just an occurrence that happened one evening in December 1955. Look at this. Why is she being photographed, being booked, if this was not planned? Yeah, how many other people who were arrested for similar crimes are photographed outside of their mugshot? She was charged with civil disobedience. Also, look at the booking info. I want you to look at her fingers. Can you tell she's a seamstress? Oh, yeah, they're covered in scars and prick marks. Yeah. Oh, God, lover. Yeah, I I just wanted to show that to you. I just showed Carrie Ann her booking card. And so... Word gets to the house that Rose has been arrested. Yeah. And everybody is immediately in a tizzy, obviously, because everyone knows that bad shit can happen to her in that jail. And Raymond is immediately on the phone. Well, that's the thing. There was this attorney named Clifford Dirk who attended, uh, I believe, church with the Parkses. And he was a friend of Edie Nixon. He was the white lawyer that was the in they needed Mm. to be able to litigate. And the fact that it had to go through Dirk for the Parks to even know that Rosa was arrested because Rosa was not allowed a telephone call. It's Mr. Nixon. The police have arrested Rosa Parks and they won't give him any information. What happened? When? Okay, I'll try and then I'm on my way. And like, when they go to get her from jail, the thing that actually made me heave, like dry heave, the emblem of the Montgomery County Jail. It says across the middle of it, the cradle of the Confederacy. Yeah. (gasps) Oh my God. That state is a part of the Union of the United States. It should be illegal for them to have that. I mean, Germany acts that way about it, about the horrible ways of their past. Why not us? Literally. When, When they get home, Nixon gets a call from Johnny. And Johnny's saying, listen, this arrest has upset all of the black people in this city. They're talking about starting a boycott of the buses. Yeah, this has really thrown, like, new momentum into the bus boycott they've been planning. <laughs> Nixon says to Parks, I, and I just don't understand this, why they decided to write this this way. Nixon says to Parks, Mr. Parks, if you think we put Rosa up to this, you don't know your wife real well. If anything, she's the one leading us. And he leaves, and Rosa goes up to Parks again and says, you cannot actually believe that they asked me to do this. Yeah. I wanted what anyone else on that bus wanted, which was to go home. And I'm like, no. It feels like that's written for our white comfort. It, it, I feel like it is. So it doesn't start any uncomfortable conversations in white homes about why we were never taught about her very organized activism. Yeah, I don't, this whole, the only thing that this narrative does 
is try to enforce us that the NAACP was not organized or intelligent enough to stage something like this. Like, like, is it really just a matter of we have no confirmation of whether or not this was in fact a planned stunt? Or like, is it just one of those things where the history, we'll never really know. We have no like third party documents or whatever. No, E.D. Nixon said we can't use Claudette Colvin, but we can use Rosa Parks because she's willing to do it. So why do people today still try and say this was not planned? Because of the amount of time that passed between the Colvin and the Parks cases. The Colvin case happened in March and the Parks case happened in December. <laughs> whatever. All right. You know what? I, I, I don't know. I don't know why they had to write it like that. And, I mean, it's for the white people. That, I mean, that is the reason. You're right. You're right. You're so absolutely right. Uh, we go to this meeting of the NAACP in which they're all sitting in a corner. I love this. The low lighting. The one light in the middle of the circle. The god light. And Johnny is handing out leaflets about the boycott. Uh, can I read you one of the leaflets from the boycott? Sure, go ahead. We are asking every Negro to stay off the buses Monday in protest of the arrest and trial of Mrs. Rosa Parks. You can afford to stay out of school for one day. If you work, take a cab or walk. But please, children and grown-ups, don't ride the bus at all on Monday. Please stay off the buses. Oh my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing. That they are really being very calculated about this and for good reason, starting it on the day of her trial. Mm-hmm. And the way the boy, the thing is, is that even though we were taught about the Montgomery boycott in school, we were not taught about the machinations of it, how that boycott would significantly impact Montgomery County because black people were the largest demographic riding the bus. County uh, public transport's going to lose a shit ton of money. Like, white supremacists do not want white children of their future to learn about how calculated the NAACP was in literally using capitalism to beat white supremacy at its own game. Yeah, white supremacists really want black people to participate in capitalism. They just want them to be as uncomfortable as possible while doing it. And, like, the thing is, is that a boycott gets whitey where it really hurts, in the pocketbook. Oh, my God. Sorry. Here it is. Parks was tried on charges of of disorderly conduct. Oh, my God. I said it five minutes ago. (laughs) And violating a local ordinance. The trial lasted 30 minutes after being found guilty and fined $10 plus $4 in court fees. Combined total equivalent of $142 in 2021. My God. Parks appealed her conviction and formally challenged the legality of racial segregation, it says. Wow. And back to the meeting. I'm sorry. Back to the meeting. And Johnny is handing out the leaflets and Edie Nixon is like this is what we need this is what's going to start this revolution for us and you know they there's a little bit of infighting going on you know because it's a lot of ministers right exactly including yes no also present at the meeting is the reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. yeah and just Dexter Scott King when when MLK first opens his mouth, you know, when everyone's fighting and you hear that one woman go, let Reverend King speak, let him speak. And when Dexter Scott King opens his mouth for the first time, you're like, oh, my God. Wow. Let Reverend King speak. Let the Reverend speak. Reverend King, if the protest against the buses is going to work, 
it's critical that we be together. That's right. That's right. That's right. Divisiveness is the sure path to failure. And that's what we're doing right now. And then we see them all getting in the car because carpooling became a huge thing yeah. once the boycott started. I also would like to just reinforce that the Montgomery bus boycott lasted 381 days. That's a really long time. Like a long enough time to get the Supreme Court of the United States involved. Yeah, like name me a boycott in today times that's gone on that long. And like we the, they're all trying to get in the car, Rosa, her family, her lawyer and we members of the NAACP and we see a bus stopping at a bus stop and all of these black people waiting as though they're going to get on. And they're like, you know what? We can't realistically expect everyone to abide by the boycott. Some people just live too far outside of town. Yeah, people can only do what they can do. And they fully expect that all of these black people waiting in line are going to get on this bus. And I love it. This little old black lady walks up to the doors of the bus and looks that white driver dead in the eyes and goes, I ain't getting on till Jim Crow gets off. We go from that into seeing the dramatization of her trial. <laughs> when, when that when that Bible comes up on screen with that old white lady who was a passenger on the bus swearing her oath, the way I went, whites only! The no! Bible says whites only on it! <sighs> Guys, Jesus would have some things to say about he that! certainly would. I'm screaming, I'm sorry. <laughs> the way this woman's like, listen, there were plenty of empty seats. I don't know why she couldn't have moved. There weren't. That bus was full. Yeah, Raymond says as much. That's a lie. The three people that were sitting in Rose's row had to stand. Yeah, they, they, there was nowhere to go. Because they were asked to get up. Obviously, like I said earlier, she was convicted. She paid her fine. She filed her appeal. We get home that night after the trial, and Johnny comes in and says, Listen, there's going to be a huge meeting at the Dexter Avenue Church. The new preacher, Reverend King, he's going to speak. And they want you there, Rosa. They want you to be at the meeting. Everyone wants to know if you're coming. I know. I'm already getting goosebumps and, thinking about this scene. And Rosa's like, well, what do they want with me? And Johnny's like, girl! <laughs> <laughs> what are you new here? <laughs> yeah, like, come on now. And the way, she's like, they want to know if you're coming. And Raymond's like, mm-mm, what do they want with her? No, I don't need my wife going down there. And I'm like, Raymond... Raymond, come really? on. Come on. Like the- After everything we've already been through, like it's like he was supportive at first, and now it's just his support is just just going out the door so quickly. And listen, there it's completely valid for him to be concerned for her safety. You know, that many black people and members of the NAACP in one place at one time sounds like a good opportunity for some domestic terrorism to me. Exactly. So I respect that he's probably concerned for her safety, but at least the way this actor is giving this performance there is something about it that reeks of his ego mm-hmm. like it's almost like she's her becoming so important to so many people is really hurting him inside for some reason and i just i don't know if that's what they intended or if that was the reality of the situation regardless that's how it's coming across he's scared and he has every right to be scared he survived scottsboro yeah parks they using you, Rosa. Can't you see it? Yes, I do see it. And I don't mind. Well, I mind. I mind them using my wife. You're not Harriet Tubman, damn it. No, I'm only Rosa Parks. And I am your wife. So if you do not want me to go to this meeting, I won't. You go on. 
do what you want to do. Talk about her arriving at the church. We go to Dexter Avenue Church. We hear the choir singing, Oh, Freedom. Oh, God. And there's people, there's people for blocks around this church. Yeah, there are megaphones outside that are, um airing what Reverend King is going to be saying inside. And it's playing on the radio. People are listening in their homes. Raymond is at home listening to it. You could have just gone, Raymond. See? And Ross, that's my point. If it really was about her safety, wouldn't he have gone with her? Exactly. But no, he's at home with a scotch and pouting, listening to it on the radio. And Reverend King gets up to speak and is going to introduce Rosa to the congregation. And I just, I've again, I have goose pimples on my eyelids. The power in that room when she walks through the back doors of that chapel. One of Montgomery's finest citizens. Not one of the finest Negro citizens, but one of the finest citizens in Montgomery was taken from a bus and carried to jail and arrested because she refused to give up a seat to a white person. And since it had to happen, I'm so happy it happened to a person like Mrs. Rosa Parks. Nobody can doubt the boundless outreach of her integrity, the height of her character, or the depth of her Christian commitment to the teachings of Jesus. When King says, if it had to happen, I am so glad that it happened to Rosa Parks. Which I don't know what that means, but... I'll tell you what it means. It means that Rosa Parks' example, not only as a black American, but as a person living in America, as a citizen of the state of Alabama, her composure, her, her civil respect for all people, white or black... She is an example to look to for everyone on not just how to be involved in your community, but just how to be a person. She was such an attractive candidate to elevate up for this. Yeah, it's a see, and it's that word attractive. And it's not because you're using it. It's because again, I'm getting that same taste from the beginning of the movie where it's like she's palatable. Mm-hmm. Because she's a non-violent, quote unquote. She's a non-threatening black woman. Yeah, exactly. And so that's why we're taught about her and Martin Luther King. Because obviously Martin Luther King had a huge campaign against non-violence in acting against institutional racism. But when there were other black leaders who were also trying to accomplish the same thing, who weren't necessarily as palatable or as quotable as King was. And even then, we cherry pick as white people through King's quotes every February. Every February without fail. When people, I see the same five Martin Luther King quotes. When people post that Gandalf quote, then, then they say it's Martin Luther King who said it. Like, like, oh my God. Just, <laughs> white people stop. White people stop. Read a book, please. And I and I I, I love I, I love this quote from Dr. King. And we're not wrong. If we are wrong The Supreme Court of this nation is wrong. If we are wrong, the Constitution of the United States is wrong. If we are wrong, God Almighty is wrong. If we are wrong, justice is a lie. And we are determined here in Montgomery to work and fight until justice runs down like water. And just, I love it. I do love me. 
I love I love it when a black preacher is swelling. Yeah. You know? Oh my god. The way they all just start applauding him and her. And you can feel the energy in that room. And they get to their feet, the hope, the fight. And just the shots interspersed with Raymond just sitting at home smoking a cigar mm. alone. Like, Raymond, you got to be there, man. And, you know, her situation, Rosa Parks, deteriorated a little bit after the boycott. Like, she is fired from Montgomery Fair. Yeah. She is dismissed from her job. Mr. Bradley doesn't want a civil rights activist working at Montgomery Fair. He doesn't say that, but it's what he means. He's like, business has been down. And she's like, down? Yeah. This is as busy as we get all year. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, not if your boycott continues. Yeah. Oh, God. Her boycott? Yeah. She didn't... St- okay, well, she did. But, like... <laughs> it's not hers. It's, yeah, it's not hers she boycott. She should not be punished for this. No. And, like, when she's leaving for the last time, Montgomery Fair, and all those people are watching her walk down the stairs. Like, oh, man. That's Rosa Parks, you yeah. know? like And the sneering. I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. There's this awful scene next where Parks is awoken in the night. Someone is trying to break into the house. It's the clan. It is the Ku Klux Klan. And the way he gets the shotgun and is like terrified in the hall waiting for someone to burst in a window or a door. And they've boarded up all the windows and doors. Yeah. And Rosa comes through the back mm-hmm. door and he raises his gun like it almost he almost shoots her. We had to board up the house for safety, Rosa. <sighs> we can't take much more of this. He's supposed to call the police when they come like this. What for? They never do anything about it. Hell, half them crackers under them hoods is police. We're still supposed to call for the record. Legally, it would help us. And while she's right, yeah, you no, know, like... I, I get both of them. Both of them have a huge point. And he asks her why she's so late getting home. And she says, I was out looking for work. Because, obviously, she just lost her job. And she's like, it'll be okay. I'll find something. And with your job, Raymond's like, my job? You mean the job I used to have. Let's just say it's no stranger who my wife is. And I'm like, do not get indignant with her right now. Yeah. You need to support each other. Like, this did, I, I believe that this did cause strain between them. Of course it did. For the better part of a year. Of course it did. Because she kind of flipped their whole lives upside down. And that's the thing. No, she did not. White people flipped their whole lives upside down. Yeah. Now, I know. Take a breath. We got to get through the end of this movie. Anyway. Guys, basically, the rest of this movie, it kind of pitters out. You know? Yeah, a little bit. We do have this scene between Rosa and Leona. Because Rosa's upset. You know, things are not going well for her right now. She's had, you know, she's had to go to taking in laundry, you know, in order to support herself. Yeah. And, you know, she's sitting on the couch one day and she's like, you know, where's Parks? Have you seen Parks today? And Leona's like, I haven't seen him since this morning. And, you know, she's breaking down a little bit. She's crying. She's upset about the relationship that she has with her husband right now. And her mom comes over to her and says, listen, would you really have done anything differently? You know, would you have taken it all? Would you take it all back right now if you could? And Rose is like, I don't know. I do know. You know. And knowing what you do now, you would still do exactly the same thing because you can't help yourself. 
You would do it because that's who you are, Rosie. I love that, honestly. The, the idea is like, I know you'd do it again. You can't help yourself. Because it's what's right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, she said that's who, she says that's who you are, Rosa. And that's who you need to be. And I thank God for you every day. Aww. And I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. And that's kind of it. Uh, yeah, it, it really does peter out because that's the thing. When it comes to Rosa Parks' story after the boycott, we don't really study what happened to her afterwards. And I mean, real quick, you know, it became so hard for them to live in Alabama after 1955 because of who she was and her profile. They had to move north. They moved all the way to Detroit. They moved to Michigan. Yeah. God. And like she would she would stay active. She was a mem- she was a member of Black Power. Rosa Parks was in the 1970s and late 1960s. And again, raise your hand if that's new information for you. I did not know that. I did not know that Rosa Parks was a member of the Black Panther movement. You would think that when we talked about the Black Panthers, we would mention that. Exactly. Or even when we talked about her. Like, guys, when you start to see it, it's, I'm not saying it's like we took the red pill or whatever, because I'm not from that corner of the internet, but just the way the veil falls from your eyes about these stories, and you go forward questioning everything, I wish it had happened to me so much sooner in life. Like, Rosa Parks, you know, from like the late 80s on, you know, her story was coming back around, you know, it was the 40th anniversary of when she refused to move. And, you know, she got a more she, she, she came back into the public eye in, in the 1990s. And um, they actually named a transportation center in Detroit after her. <laughs> the bus that she was arrested on is inside the Henry Ford Museum in Michigan. Sweet. She is, you know, she lived until 2005. Um, Raymond died in 1977. Yeah, can I read these last couple of title cards? Of course. You've done a lot of reading. I'd like to do some reading, please. You know, over this shot of Rosa and Parks, we see this text. Rosa's long and joyful partnership with Raymond Parks continued until his death in 1977. In November 1956, the Supreme Court ruled in Alabama stated any city bus segregation policies were unconstitutional. And all of a sudden, over that, I'm hearing the voice of former President Bill Clinton. Yeah, it's footage from the 1999 State of the Union address. And we're seeing the footage. We're seeing the footage from the State of the Union. For most of us alive today, in a very real sense, this journey began... 43 years ago, when a woman named Rosa Parks sat down on a bus in Alabama and wouldn't get up. She's sitting down with the First Lady tonight, and she may get up or not as she chooses. Little old Rosa Parks sitting in the gallery with Hillary Clinton, like... See, but I hate how everybody starts giving her a standing ovation... And she remains seated. Yeah. And then... The two white women pull her up. Hillary Clinton and whatever white woman is on the other side of her literally pull her up by the elbows. Yeah. I'm like, get your hands off of her. 
And it's just like, yes, it's a nice moment. I would just like it if the Clintons were not involved in any way. <laughs> God. Understandable. Listening to his little Arkansas draw get those words out, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, Bill. Yeah, she passed away in 2005, and she is one of three civilians in U.S. history to have the honor of laying in state in the United States Capitol Rotunda. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. She has her own statue in the National Statuary Hall in the U.S. Capitol. Oh, God. And she's buried in Detroit, right? I believe she's buried in Michigan. I'm not sure, but... I think she's buried in Detroit. People love to talk about how much she means around the world and for humanity, but it's what she meant in the moment that made the most difference. She was a tinderbox. You know, and even if that was all orchestrated and planned that way, even if she did put herself there, she put herself there. She put herself in a situation where she knew any number of bad things could happen to her, but it was what was right, and it was what needed to happen to move forward what had previously been kind of a stop-and-go attempt to rebel against white supremacy. And yeah, of course, the Montgomery boycott did not fix everything. Martin Luther King did not fix everything. She is one stepping stone in a decades-long process of undoing so much ignorance about the history of how we have treated people of color and especially black people in the United States. Parks said after she was asked to move the first time, I thought of Emmett Till. A 14-year-old African-American who was lynched in Mississippi in 1955 after being accused of offending a white woman in her family's grocery store, whose killers were tried and acquitted. And I just couldn't go back. Right? Carolyn Bryant, the woman who falsely claimed that he, I don't know what, hooted at her or winked at her or whatever she claimed. She's alive and well in Kentucky. And she was walking around free. Just walking around free. In 1992, Rosa Parks said, I did not want to be mistreated. I did not want to be deprived of a seat that I had paid for. It was just time. There was opportunity for me to take a stand to express the way I felt about being treated in that manner. She said, I had not originally planned to get arrested. I had plenty to do without having to end up in jail. But when I had to face the decision, I didn't hesitate to do so because I felt that what we had endured, we had endured that for too long. The more we gave in, the more we complied with that kind of treatment, the more oppressive it would become. The more you let them get away with it, the the worse it's going to get. And I just, she is someone that I'm glad that children are taught to honor they just should be taught to honor her with all of the facts yeah exactly they should be taught to honor her what by also talking about claudette colvin and the bus boycott and the extreme judicial process that that incited the movement that that incited it's all well and good to teach about mlk and rosa parks we need to talk about the entirety of the african-american civil rights movement
All right, guys, thanks for sitting through that with us. We appreciate it. We, we love an opportunity to talk about a good black creation. But guys, we are going to have a major tonal shift next week because it is February. We wanted to get some love stories in here. Um, I have taken the definition of a love story and abused it for my own emotional choices. Mm -hmm. But my choice does come next. So, uh, guys... The way Ross rolled his eyes when I brought this up, but he has no power right now. It's just the fact that it's following this. I, I know, I know. It, the tonal shift is a complete 180. Yeah. But hell, that happens all the time on this podcast, right? For our Valentine's Day selection, we will be talking about the 1994 Don Bluth animated film, Thumbelina. Oh my God. I've been, this is one of those movies that I've been waiting to do it since we started this podcast, okay? Okay, fine. I know, it's not an emotional favorite for you, but that's okay. That's okay. This this movie occupies a very specific corner of my brain, okay? So just let me have this. Can you do that for me? I can do it. <laughs> In the meantime, guys, please go over to Twitter and follow us at Kick and Stream. That's K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's, rate, review, and retweet. Rate, review, and retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join this watch party. It's a new season here at Kicking and Streaming, and we're so happy to have you all back. We are happy to be back. We're going to have a great year of content coverage. Well, we got us. Like, it cannot be as stressful as last year. <laughs> We're going to be ahead of the curve this time. No cakes will be left in the rain. Yeah, no cakes will be left in the rain this year. <laughs> More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, Rosa, Rosa Parks. Parks. <laughs> Love you, Rosa. Ro well. God. God.